Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The People's Show, coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. A lot going on today. Uh, a loaded football day. We're going to start on the NFL playoffs here. Uh, plenty to get into. We will talk to Ken Priestley coming up in about 10 minutes, our Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber, two-time cup champion, former NHLer as well. Talk to him about some of the Canucks issues that are going on today. Uh, and also, we'll read you what Queen Hughes had to say as he... Uh, re-remarked on his uh, statement last night. So we'll bring that up with Ken coming up in about 10 minutes. Plus, Curtis Crabtree will join us in about a half hour. Setting up Seahawks 49ers uh, over the weekend. Fantastic rivalry game. Obviously, look, ton of Seahawks fans in the area. I feel like there's a ton of 49ers fans in this area as well. Uh, so it's always good banter uh, when these two teams get together. Divisional opponents getting set for super wild card matchup. We'll get into, into all that with Curtis. Uh, so we'll touch away. We'll we'll stay away from the Seahawks 49ers to begin the show. Obviously, big sixes on the way and the people's picks later on. Uh, but plenty more Canucks talk coming up uh, throughout the day on Sportsnet 650 with Sat and Dan. Yannick Hansen will join them as well. But that's coming up in about an hour. But setting up this weekend's games for Super Wild Card Weekend, by the way, guys behind the glass, Cost is running the show, Dom, our intern, Victor as well. Uh, I know you two are all hyped up tomorrow. That is an all-time sports day tomorrow, especially if you're a, a Seahawks fan like myself. Manchester Derby first thing in the morning. Seahawks 49ers leading right into the Canucks game. Tomorrow's like one of my favorite sports days in the year. Dom's like waving behind the glass. Dom's not psyched for uh, Canucks Panthers. No, Canucks Panthers. Fired up. I'm showing up to work at like noon tomorrow. So I don't have to miss any of the Seahawks game. Waking up at 4 a.m. United City and then uh, into a full pack sports day. Uh, Hopefully uh, your your, your sports day tomorrow is uh, just as jam packed. Uh, But let's start with what's going on in the NFL tomorrow. Again, super wild card weekend. Who's got the most on the line here? Or or rather, what team might make the most drastic reaction after this weekend? You go through this. Look, the LA Chargers going through this. Week 18, how they've handled that. Speaking of things that have been handled uh, improperly. Mike Williams now out for this weekend. One of their star wide receivers. Didn't need to play him in week 18. And now he's not playing. They had Justin Herbert out there late. He's he's obviously had rib issues all throughout the course of the year. And now they lose one of their best wide receivers for an for a team that's been up and down, to put it lightly. And they're trying to take this organizational turn and start being one of the most reputable teams in the league. They got Justin Herbert. You think you get this great head coach and makes a huge mistake heading into the playoffs. They lose. Does that put uh, Brandon Staley on the chopping block with the host of head coaches trying to jump back into the fold, including Sean Payton, who, by the way, is offensive coordinator, is in L.A. already. And Sean Payton, flirting with a bunch of teams, still can't talk to anyone just yet officially. But you know the team that he's always wanted to go to? team that he worked for at one point as well? The Dallas Cowboys. Now that Sean Payton's exploring the opportunities out from the clutches of the New Orleans Saints, he's doing the TV thing, enjoying it, but 
there's going to be at some point where Sean Payton wants to get back into it. And earlier this year, he had an interview, and he was talking about the Cowboys and complimenting everything about them. The thing that he left out was the coaching staff. So is this opportunity, if Mike McCarthy loses as a road favorite in Tampa Bay when they've had this season, great defense, energetic defense, I should say. I don't know if they're great, but they can cause a lot of turnovers, put up points themselves. Obviously, Micah Parsons in the running for Defensive Player of the Year. He goes into Tampa Bay and loses with Sean Payton trying to find his next gig. Is there a call to Jerry Jones and says, I'll take the gig if it's open. Because one thing about that Cowboys job, we can talk about how tough it is under Jerry Jones at times. You get a lot of loyalty. He's stuck by Jason Garrett a long time. There's been an infatuation with Sean Payton for a long time. If he's finally available, is that the most drastic reaction we could see this weekend? 650-650 if you want to chime in uh, with what's going on with your favorite team heading up into Super Wild Card Weekend. I'm conditioning myself to now say Super Wild Card Weekend. Uh, but also, the Vikings lose. Kirk Cousins has become like the model for quarterbacks to get paid. But you also got to perform. You have to be able to win playoff games. And if Kirk Cousins does not deliver as a home favorite division winner versus the New York Giants who had to do this big reclamation project themselves, they go into next season, do they look at Kirk Cousins and say, you know what, this is kind of running its course. It's getting to a stage where can they get out of uh, the contract coming out after next year and say, we're okay taking on some dead money uh, come after June 1st if it's a post-June 1 designation uh, transaction, that they're willing to eat a bit of that money and say, we need to have a better plan at quarterback. Because if you can't beat the Giants, that's a big problem if you're Kirk Cousins. Another, you know, we, we know his record in prime time. This is going to be a standalone uh, important game. You can't win this one. Is this one of the sweeping changes that we see across the NFL. And finally, this one's a bit different because Lamar's not playing. But if the Ravens are out, I still think ultimately Lamar's back in Baltimore because the thing that they can do is franchise tag him and he's got to play on the on, under the tag and he can solve the, the contract long-term thereafter. But if the Ravens don't win, how does that situation start to unfold heading into this offseason. And and the Ravens are big underdogs going into this weekend. Big six as well coming up in about uh, 10, 12 minutes after we talk to Ken Priestley, who uh, will join us in just a couple of minutes here. If they don't pull this off, that starts putting into all their questions uh, what to do with Lamar Jackson immediately. If they manage to get a win, they buy themselves another week. Does Lamar manage to get back in the lineup? Cincinnati, if they lose, like – Zach Taylor, for me, one of the better coaches right now in the league. They seem to have a consistent plan. Obviously, Joe Burrow's been fantastic. He'll get a big payday coming up this offseason. There's not a lot of drastic reactions to go with uh, the Jaguars or the, the Bengals. Jaguars, obviously, they got their plan as well with Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson. How many big-picture moves are they going to be, or knee-jerk type moves, are they going to be doing if they pick up an L this weekend? Uh, this one, about the Cowboys and Sean Payton, 650-650. Saints have to trade him. 
Uh, so they have the last say for sure. And there's going to be some compensation element to it. But Sean Payton is going to have his opportunity to check what his market is throughout the course of this. And I would imagine the Saints are going to do right by him. If he goes back to New Orleans with Dennis Allen there, okay, that's a thing that they can work out. But I would imagine the Saints try to uh, do right by Sean Payton, someone who was part of that organization for so long, and not restrict him from taking another gig. Uh, they'll be compensated with the draft pick or whatever it is. Uh, I, I would be stunned if the Saints stood in the way of Sean Payton. It'd be one thing if it was a divisional team, Atlanta, Carolina. Uh, I, I can see the Saints preventing him going to Carolina, but for Dallas or any other team that's out of the division, uh, you'd expect uh, Sean Payton to find uh, his next spot. This one, uh, if he's the Cowboys coach next year, uh, or sorry, Sean Payton may be the Cowboys coach next year, even if they win the Super Bowl. That would be harsh. That would be harsh. Uh, Jerry holding the Super Bowl in one hand and the dagger in the, the other hand, uh, cutting out uh, Mike McCarthy of the situation. That Hey, Jerry's going to do what Jerry does, but I would be stunned in that scenario if, if Mike McCarthy wins a Super Bowl. Uh, and then doesn't find himself as head coach of the Dallas Cowboys the year after. We'll get to Big Six in just a couple of minutes, but uh, we're just going to connect with Ken Priestley in a moment. I do want to touch on uh, what Quinn Hughes said again today, uh, following up his statement yesterday after the loss, which was a tough loss. And you can understand, hey, players being in an emotional state after a 5-4 loss. Did he say everything correctly? Now, I would still put this in the, in the, in the camp of, He's echoing a sentiment that is felt, and his his thoughts last night were it wasn't handled properly as far as the whole Tanner Pearson injury situation and the club announcing yesterday surgeries thereafter with his second surgery, and he's going to be out for the rest of the year. So Quinn today talked about, I think everyone wants to see Tanner in the lineup. He's been a good fit, a guy that's played a long time. Anyone that knows me knows I'm a guy that tries my best every game and shows up and cares about his teammates. So, of course, I'm emotional just like everyone else. I wasn't trying to direct blame at anyone. I don't think it's really anyone's fault. It's just an unfortunate situation. But in a situation like that, of course, I care about my teammates. And, you know, I hate to see a guy go through hell like that. That's all that was. It's Ian McIntyre who put that quote out after practice today. Let's talk to our guy, Ken Priestley, or Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber, former NHLer and two-time cup champion. Ken, how are you? Great, thank you. You guys? Uh, we're doing well. We're doing well. Uh, so I just kind of read that statement of uh, Quinn Hughes, uh, slightly walking it back from yesterday uh, where it felt a bit more pointed. It's it's still coming from a place of, you know, Tanner Pearson's out for the year now with a, uh, f- from hand surgery. Uh, you know, a, a thing that you could say worst case scenario would take up to six weeks. Now it's you're looking at six months. Uh, w- when you read into that situation or what Quinn has said, uh, what's your takeaway? You know what? It's just another. It's just another chapter. I think it's just it's frustration. It's it's a it's a whole bunch of different things that uh, that players and teammates have to go through. It's a it's the team is going through tremendous ups and downs at the moment, right? So sometimes things uh, get said by individuals, and sometimes they get outside the dressing room, and and unfortunately, it just kind of blows up into something that. Uh, may be misread by other people but um yeah it's it's i i i wish i could say this is this is something that i you, you don't see coming but uh mm-hmm. this is probably the next step right like it's just 
it's just uh, an interesting thing that the, the team is going through right now, and it's just a very difficult time for all of them to to always say the right things. What was the uh, toughest injury you had to deal with? Um, I think I broke, I separated my shoulder one time, and then three games later I broke my hand. So I think it was kind of back-to-back injuries, and they weren't necessarily pro injuries. Most of the the significant injuries without, you know, missing time were junior days right um there were some there were some times where you get bumps and bruises and but i was very very lucky i didn't uh my my body and and my health stayed uh relatively relatively in good tact and i didn't really have uh long stretches where i had to be missing games for for injury purposes sorry the the, the shoulder was in the pros yeah the show no the shoulder was in junior and it was okay. actually my draft year and i got hit in portland and it was just a, a, a simple easy easy contact it was it was just nothing but it just again it was just uh you know unfortunate hit there was no nothing on the boards it was just middle of the ice we kind of ran i was going one way and uh and he was going the other way and it just kind of just did that right it just wasn't in the right spot and then i went into cam loops uh after getting my shoulder back on you know back in right form and uh, broke my hand in the corner getting hit into the boards and that put me out pretty much most of my left of my draft year so I think I came back with 10, 10 games left and uh, that was the time where you got to worry about it the most right you're 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 trying to get a career going and you're having a good season or you're having good seasons in junior and you just want to make sure you go injury free, but sometimes it doesn't happen. Because the point I was making last night on the post game show, Ken, was uh, you know the the things organizations got to do with with players is medically it's it's always important to be able to have the certain level of respect for your players to try to give them the best opportunity to recover when injuries happen. And that relationship from a player's point of view, an athlete's point of view, is hey, make sure my body's always being taken care of. How important was that to you? it's it's huge and it's it's just it's just respect amongst each other mm-hmm. right it's the the coaches always want to have you out there there's no question you know the, i'm sure the the manager general managers always want you out there it just some days your body just can't do it and obviously if it's a significant injury it definitely can't do it and um you know i think more so this day and age in hockey the 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 rest time the the obviously the concussion issues uh and the awareness um sometimes sometimes back in the day you kind of were you just felt like there was this you know thing around you that if you didn't show up to play because you got uh, a headache or something like that or a concussion not a broken leg not a broken arm nothing like that um there was there was pressure and uh and 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 players felt that there's no question about it you 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 had to be out there because not only were you, you know, not helping your team or, or, or you just wanted to make sure that you stayed in the lineup because you were, you were one of those players that was kind of an in and out guy. Um, there was significant, uh, significant times where you just felt that pressure this day and age. I think the, the money's changed. The game has changed. Sure. Um, players are way more valuable, not to say that they weren't valuable back then, but they just are, taken taken to a different level now and um, if you get injuries um, um, sometimes it's better to to look after it now than than maybe hurting the future or you know the potential for the player's future so there's a lot of more things to take into consideration now than I think there was before when you had that injury how did you manage to play with it or did you know you what play I think it, yeah? uh, 
it was funny because the the shoulder injury healed fairly quickly. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a separated shoulder, and and I, I did my time. I'm not exactly sure how long it was out. Uh, my hand was uh, was a different story. It was a little bit more of a. It didn't break right through. It kind of you know halfway green stick and kind of went down the bone a little bit and i was out significantly longer then and um actually the it's, it's kind of ironic the team that drafted me the buffalo sabers they were in victoria and i'm not 100 percent sure why they were in victoria they might have been just a couple of days off before they played in vancouver and um they their trainers were there and you know my trainer at the time just basically said you know like what do you think and he gave me that said shake my hand and grip test and he was all you're good tape it up and go so it was uh, it was kind of an interesting way of a junior guy junior trainer looking at it and being really really cautious and then you know you get a pro guy coming in and saying uh no he's good he's got lots of strength in there so you know what we ended up going back to the last three games and it was funny because you get drafted by that team and you place you know significant time with that organization it was just an interesting time that's all coming back from an injury um do you have to like learn how to trust that body part and say okay what can i do what can't i do with it yeah i think you do i think the first the first initial hit or the first initial shot or whatever it is that you're you know whatever you're is that you're coming back from if it's a knee it's obviously skating and catching an edge or getting hit or you know it's shoulders is different but yeah i think once you get uh your adrenaline starts pumping and you get into the game uh you hopefully hopefully you forget about it and it's not part of the game because you never want to go into a game thinking about uh if i do this i'm going to get hurt you mm-hmm. if, if if you're doing that you're getting hurt there's no question it's just too it's too fast and too violent of a game for uh you to be thinking anything other than just playing uh it's non-stop right now with the vancouver canucks and it, uh, normally we'd be uh spending days talking about how uh, a very highly played a uh, defenseman has been uh, healthy scratched, and, and yet here we are halfway through this. And finally, I'm getting to all of Reckman Larson. Uh, the, the, the trouble with this spot here is at some point, the Canucks uh, need the best version of, all, of, of OEL to come out uh, at some point, even this season. You know, what do you notice in his game of, of why it led to this decision? You know what I I uh, I just think it's it might have been just consistency, right? And and it might have just been a rest. I mean, there's just I there's so many different reasons why um, you go through the the issues that you go through in your game ups and downs. Um, again, it could be a slight injury. It could be something that he's been playing through, and and they just need to okay, we need to stop here. We need to figure out if this is going to heal or if this is going to be a problem. Um, and it could have been just the way he was playing. And, and uh, oddly enough, it was just his number called now, right? There was a time and a place that, uh, that it could be done. And um, they, you know, coaching staff and managing staff obviously thought that this was the time. And, um, you know, that he's just another one of those players that is, is, is playing on the team that if you're not performing, um, you know, you, you can be scratched at any time. And it's just, it's just not very often you see uh, a guy with uh, – at his level, and uh, especially as a veteran guy, uh, get healthy scratched. Everybody starts asking questions if it's just his game has passed him by. I think he's still got lots left, but uh, maybe not at the offensive level or the or the level that the Canucks want. Uh, what'd you make of the incident at the end of the game there with uh, Sergachev uh, punching Garland? Um, <laughs> it's it, that's the game, right? That's that's the game. I mean, I it's. Uh, it's intensity. It's, uh, it's just, it's hockey that, that stuff happened all the time when I played 
And, uh, you know, it didn't necessarily always happen to you. Uh, you dished it out. Players gave it to you. It's just something you don't see very often now. And uh, But I guarantee you, back in the day, you saw that way more often. And it was just, again, part of it. But, uh, oh, well, you know what? It, it was it was interesting to see, and uh, now see what they, see how they react. Right? You see how you react from stuff like that. Well, Sergachev uh, did get a fine for it today, and uh, I guess we'll see uh, what happens on January 18th when they come to Rogers Arena. Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of when you get to see it, right? You kind of at right. the end of the at the end of the game, you get to see what happens next game, and that's exactly what happened back in the days. You, if nothing got called, or if you did get fined, well. He had to stand up and be accountable next time. Uh, Ken, uh, you're always accountable because you're always coming up on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> That's our guy, uh, Ken Priestley, Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber, uh, two-time cup champion, former NHLer. All right, uh, before we go to break, let's get to it. Uh, Big Six playoff edition now. Uh, we don't reset the the uh, the record. We just carry on uh, all the way through to the end of the season. Teams win, great teams cover. Take it to the house. It's Big Six. All right, four and two last week, trying to finish out strong. Uh, 47, 56, and five on the year. Quick maths, 45.6%. Got to improve. Got to finish strong here. Uh, we're going to do it game by game. Usually I just take six uh, on the card, but we're going to go game by game. Starting Saturday morning, 49ers minus nine and a half versus the Seahawks. Going into this, I thought Monday, I was like, yeah, 49ers. Tuesday, yeah, 49ers. Then you start seeing the weather. I'm a little concerned. That's really the only thing giving me some pause here. We saw, obviously, a monsoon game earlier from the 49ers this year, and they struggled in that game. Does that impact how they can block that zone blocking scheme? Everything's got to be mirrored and together. Does that cause some issues? Is the defensive line going to be able to fire off as cleanly uh, for the 49ers as well? That's really the only thing giving me pause. They've just been so much stronger everywhere on the field than the Seahawks. Brock Purdy, I do think there's going to be a slump game coming from Brock Purdy, and can the 49ers survive that? I just don't know if it's going to happen against the Seahawks defense. I'm going to lay the points here. 49ers still win despite the weather conditions, 24-10. Jaguars plus two and a half versus the Chargers. First dog, uh, first upset that we'll see happening Saturday night. Just worry that this Mike Williams injury does not provide enough downfield explosiveness for the LA Chargers. Can they still be methodical? Hit Eckler, hit Keenan Allen. Their big play receivers, though, are just not there. And that's the big concern for me. It, the defense has gotten better obviously but in this spot are they gonna be able to hang with christian kirk are they gonna be able to hang with zay jones and if this becomes an explosive game with trevor lawrence emerging now will the Chargers be able to find their own explosive plays to keep up outside of just justin herbert being phenomenal and the Jaguars' strength is their defensive line will they be able to cause problems for the chargers offensive line that's done well despite some injuries on the offensive line will they will they be able to hold up in this spot I'm a little concerned. I'm going to take the points. Jaguars win a wild one, 30-27. to 27. Bills, minus 13.5 versus the Dolphins. I'm taking the big number, I know. I'm going to lay the points here. I just don't see how Skylar Thompson's going to be able to keep up with Josh Allen. At some point, the dam will break for the Buffalo Bills. And is a young quarterback going to be able to manufacture multiple 
touchdown drives when they're down. And here's the thing. The way this Bills team is emotionally charged right now, I don't know if they get up 10 and they kind of ease off. They will lay the wood down and continue to pour it on. I'm going to lay the points here. Bills win 33-13. Giants plus three at the Vikings. We're back in the New York Giants in this spot. We can take the points. Daniel Jones, I'm expecting a big game out of him on the ground specifically. How he does through the air obviously can be a bit of a mystery. Saquon obviously going to be massive keeping the Vikings offense off of the field. And here's the thing. When the Vikings offense is on the field, Giants, their, their strength is their defense. Dexter Lawrence having one of the best seasons a defensive lineman has had this year. That's going to be a problem for the Vikings offensive line. How will it impact Kirk Cousins, and will he rush his decision-making and start to throw some interceptions as well? I'm going to take the points. Another upset. Giants win 24-21. Plus the other thing, it's two lucky teams this year. Giants had some luck at the early part of the year. Obviously, the Vikings had some uh, success with some one-score coin flip opportunities throughout the year. So I'm just going to take the points in that spot here and hope Kirk Cousins doesn't cover three. Bengals minus eight and a half versus the Ravens. Don't have to go too deep into this. This is just a quarterback thing for me. Uh, The coaching matchup, very similar though. Very even. John Harbaugh, fantastic coach, obviously. And they're going to make it difficult. They always win in the margins. Special teams with Justin Tucker. They always have good special teams uh, every single season. Bengals, though, I just think they're on another level right now. They found their groove again after some early struggles in the season. Just Joe Burrow versus not Lamar Jackson. That's the big problem here. I'll lay the points here. Bengals winning 27-14. And finally, Buccaneers plus 2.5 versus the Cowboys. The Bucs have struggled mightily at various points through the season. And yet, when things were on the line, so many times they did manage to show up. Late in games, obviously. And then the biggest game of the year for them was the Carolina Panthers, and they kind of went gangbusters in that game. They get a little bit healthier in the secondary, and I'm just not playing Mike McCarthy as a road favorite versus Tom Brady. I just can't see myself doing that. Bucks win 23-18. So 49ers minus 9.5, Jaguars plus 2.5, Bills minus 13.5, Giants plus 3.5, Bengals minus eight and a half and Buccaneers plus two and a half. That is big six for wild card weekend. All right. On the other side, we'll set up the 49ers and Seahawks game with Curtis Crabtree. who will join us on the other side. Plus the people's picks on the way here on the home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the People Show, final segment of the week. Connect with Curtis Crabtree in just a second for Fox 13 Seattle. Getting ready for Seahawks and 49ers coming up, uh, 650-650, just coming off a big six there. This one, the disrespect for Kirk Cousins, wow. Look, I, I called him a Hall of Fame secure the bag quarterback. I don't know what more you want, man. Athletes who want to get paid, they're looking at Kirk Cousins. That's, that is their poster boy of how to get paid. Guaranteed contracts, that guy is a pioneer uh, for NFL players and, and, and all athletes, really, because uh, you 
don't have to win MVPs. You don't have to be elite. You don't have to go to Super Bowls to get a guaranteed contract if you're Kirk Cousins. Uh, keep coming in with reactions, 650-650. Uh, we'll get to uh, the Friday football preview in just a bit here as well. Uh, we'll get ready with uh, Cur- Curtis now. He joins us from uh, Fox 13 Seattle at Curtis underscore Crabtree uh, joining us now. Curtis, how are you? I'm good. How's it going? Uh, we're doing great. Geeked up for this game uh, this weekend. Uh, division rival, uh, the, the, the third matchup uh, for these two teams this season. Uh, that's overstated, right? How how often uh, the, the, the team plays each other the third time? Yeah, I mean, typically from the numbers, the team that's won the first two games wins the third one, too, because they're the better football team, <laughs> typically. so, And particularly the teams that have gotten that third game at home as the more accomplished team in the playoffs that have an even better record than the overall aggregate. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, I think it's reading way too much into it. The whole, oh, it's tough to beat a team three times in a season thing, I don't think it tends to hold up. How much I like? I came into this week, and you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was very much a oh, 49ers. They'll do this. They'll do this. It'll be no big problem. And then I got to Thursday, and just seen the weather report, and we've seen the 49ers play in monsoon conditions this year and struggled. How much is that playing a role into the of what can happen tomorrow? It does tend to lend to a little bit more of uncertainty. I mean, heck, the Bears beat the 49ers yeah. the first week of the season because they were playing in a monsoon. Now, that was also with Trey Lance, the quarterback, and a hundred other variables are different between now and then. But, like, it just all of a sudden means the ball might bounce a little bit funny. You know, a fumble here or there you're not expecting. And all of a sudden the game's a whole lot different than you thought it was. So, there, there, it, adds, it adds that variable that you just can't account for and can lead to some nutty things happening in a game. And ultimately, Seattle's going to need to be successful running the football anyway in this game. They've been terrible at it in both their first two meetings against San Francisco, and it's led to a lot of struggles in other areas of their game all across the board. And so finding a way to be good on the ground in wet conditions isn't going to be a bad thing for Seattle to try to do anyway, and it's going to be uh, one of the keys that they're going to have to be successful in to, to win. And it's going to be tough to throw if it's raining as hard as it seems like it might be be doing tomorrow. You're in Seattle. You've been covering the team all week and for, for multiple seasons do a great job doing it. What's the vibe like in Seattle? Just from an outsider's perspective, i got to be honest, it feels like they've done a great job of approaching this with a lack of pressure on them and still cultivating that us-against-the-world mentality too. Yeah, I mean, they've been as loose as they normally are. It's one of the things that, you, you know, you, you can roll your eyes at 800 different things Pete Carroll says and his little isms that he has throughout the year and all that, but the fact that they try to treat every game like a championship opportunity, like all of a sudden a game like this comes around and it's not different for them because they try to go and prepare about every every week the same way. And, of course, there's going to be a little bit more juice for this game. I think that's natural, but in general it's not – something they get too out of whack for he always points back to a game when he was early in his usc days where he made a big big deal about going back to notre dame and they got their butts kicked he's like okay well i'm not going to do that anymore we're just going to treat every game the same and it's play it's 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 been pretty good way to handle things for him throughout the years and so i think that's one of the reasons they've been able to stay as even keeled and loose and and normal as they typically are does it also kind of fit the, the, the personality of the group as well? And and more specifically, I'm just kind of looking at Gino because it feels like there's been so much pressure on him this year and he's kind of done a free roll and it's like, hey, you're the guy replacing Russell Wilson and he's done remarkable passing records for him as well. And it comes to this stage and it kind of feels like Gino's like, one-season legacy is a little secure because he's already made it to the playoffs. Whatever happens, happens here uh, going forward. 
Yeah, I mean, Tyler Lockett had a similar comment this week, too. Like, you know, nobody's – just like the start of the season, nobody was picking them to do anything, so they can just let it fly and, you know, see what comes down the line. And, I mean, it is a, a divisional rival, a team that they do know well, that, um, you know, up until this year they played really strong, even when you could argue the 49ers have been the better football team. Uh, they've found a way to beat, beat them and, and play them tough. And so – uh, I think Seattle has a chance in this game. And w- with Geno, too, like if Geno plays like he can play and showed you he could play through the first 12, 13 weeks of the season, then they absolutely can be live for a chance to win this game late in the fourth quarter. Those numbers have regressed a little bit over the last month. It hasn't been quite as clean. Of course, losing some receiving targets like Marquise Goodwin and, and Will Disley down the stretch have certainly hurt in some of that regard, too. But, um, they have the capability of winning this game. Not that I would expect it or anything like that. And so they know if they go out and let it fly and bring one of those strong performances together, they can have a shot and, and keep moving. And so that's kind of uh, where they're at right now. The the games against San Francisco for Gino, uh, they weren't too kind. And I know, you know, there was some late stat padding in there. Um, but what about this matchup after seeing them twice maybe lends itself that he can bounce back uh, in this matchup uh, this weekend? Well, I, I think, I think ironically, it's the run game being the benefit of Geno in that regard because you've got Ken Walker coming off three straight 100-yard games. The running backs in the first two matchups against San Francisco this year were held to like 34 and 52 yards or something like that. Their average third down distance needed to convert in their 20, 30 third down opportunities in those two games was nine and a half. So, like, yeah, you can look at the mm-hmm. third down numbers and be, oh, 6 of 20, that's not very good. Yeah, well, they had very little chance on half of them. I think 12 of those 20 were eight yards or more they needed to gain. You're just you're going uphill, and that's because they had no running game, very little early down success. And so if the running game can, you know, boost them a little bit to where it's not all going to be on Geno Smith, D.K. Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett to carry the entire offensive load, then I think that's a formula for them to be more successful overall. So I think the running game has to play into the way that Geno plays and the way that they're able to find success in this game. Because if if they're shut down again on the ground in wet conditions where the defense can focus in on Metcalf and Lockett with Seattle's third receiver last week being Kate Johnson, an undrafted rookie from a year ago, like, and no Disley, no Goodwin, like, that can be, be a, the recipe for a very bad day for Seattle. So I think the run game has to be there for Geno and everything else to kind of click together. On the other side at quarterback as well, Brock Purdy, he's been so efficient and he's put up great numbers. This is also his foray uh, to be able to run a playoff game. Uh, how much is that a factor in how Seattle, which you know defensively has, has had their issues, but managing the nerves of these two quarterbacks right now, who's kind of got it tougher right now, Geno or Brock Purdy? I think it's still got to be Brock Purdy because Mm -hmm. they are looking at a team that's like, okay, everything else is in place. Like we've got a really strong defense. We've got the weapons on offense with McCaffrey and Samuel and Ayuk and, and George Kittle. And, and like the only thing that goes wrong is the quarterback screwing it up. That's the, I mean, they've been able to win with three different starting quarterbacks this year um, because they've got all those pieces around them and they're mostly healthy right now. So the more pressure in the circumstance has to be on Purdy because they think they can get to a Super Bowl and be a competitive, uh, you know, be as competitive as any team in the NFC here down the stretch. And so everything's going to ride on his shoulders. Whereas you mentioned before, the Seahawks can kind of look at it like a bit of a free roll and go in here, but nobody expected us to be here. We can go let it fly and whatever happens, happens. So it, it's it's going to be a tough, you know, a day that 
Purdy's going to have to prove himself a little bit, and he hasn't had much adversity so far. And, you know, if if a couple things go wrong early and the Seahawks jump out to a lead and maybe he throws an interception early and they're staring at a 10 nothing deficit in the late first quarter, early second, and now all of a sudden how's he going to handle those sort of circumstances because he hasn't been in that position before. Uh, you mentioned uh, Will Disley, his absence. Is it, uh, like, will his presence be most felt in trying to deal with Nick Bosa? You, you know, we, we, we don't necessarily talk about tight ends and their blocking ability, but in this specific matchup, any help you can provide to a guy who might win Defensive Player of the Year, is that where that presence is going to be hurt the most? It, it, yeah, I, I think it plays into that for sure. Um, Will is very good as a, an extra blocker on the end of the line of scrimmage. And while I think Colby Parkinson, Colby Parkinson's made some strides in that area, and no one's fans okay too. Like that is one area where you're you're losing a little bit of something there, not having Will available, and um, they'll get by with that. I, I don't think it's going to be the like the fulcrum point of what's going to swing the game one way or another. Sure. But you would like to have Disley's presence in the lineup if he could be there, and he's not able to because uh, he's got that knee, knee knee injury he's recovering from here. What's your sense in general of how they uh, plan to deal with the 49ers defensive line, though? They have they have to in the same kind of vein as what I was touching earlier. They have to have the success on the ground to keep them out of those third and eight, third and nine, third and thirteens, so that you know Bosa and, and and that group can't get turned up coming after Geno. As good as that offensive line has played in pass protection this year, particularly with the rookie tackles and Cross and Abe Lucas playing really really strong this season. That's not a situation you want to put them in. A playoff experience with a guy in Nick Bosa who's had such a phenomenal year for the 49ers, having a chance to tear after them in long pass, you know, must-pass situations, that's, that's just not a, a recipe for success for Seattle. So they have to have that early down success, probably buoyed by the running game being a factor that it wasn't in the first two games, for them to have a chance to do what they want to do offensively. Uh, just really quickly on the offense, DK Metcalf, again, uh, we, we haven't seen him a lot in the playoffs, uh, I think three games for him. Um, just what do you expect in this matchup for him as, as he's now a more mature player than he was in 2019, uh, as, as he's, you know, one of the faces of, of this offense. He, he's a piece that they need to have be a big part, part of things on the offense for sure. Um, the return of Tyler Lockett has helped and that will help him get the targets that he needs to get in this game. You know, you do wonder about the maturity aspect because he is still jawing and getting in the face of guys just yeah. about every week and, and potentially, you know, he's got a couple penalties doing that so far this year. And, I mean, you don't want that to pop up in the wrong spot this weekend because I don't think they have the margin for error to absorb something like that if he gets a penalty in the wrong spot. But he's got to be big for that. He's got to come up with the, the big catch that he dropped two weeks ago against the Jets on that ball at the sidelines. And, um, he's had some of those circumstances where it's just kind of slipped through his hands. There was a, uh, I think in one of the Eagles game, games a couple of years ago, he had a, had a fumble um, trying to fight for some extra yardages and those sorts of things. He has to watch the ball security this week in the wet and make sure that he, you know, make he's able to convert all of those opportunities that do come his way. Yeah, because he's managed to score three touchdowns in his uh, three playoff mm -hmm. games as well. So he, he is a big-time performer uh, come the second season. All right, uh, on the other side of the ball, though, uh, who's kind of going to get picked on uh, from Kyle Shanahan? Who is he looking at and saying, hey, when, when, when we're running our offense, uh, we're coming after this guy on the Seahawks defense? It would have to be the combination probably of Tanner Muse and, and, and Alexander Johnson at linebacker just because they're not proven. They're you know, filling in for Jordan Brooks. Um they're also going to look at the tape last week of seeing Michael Jackson crash down on a run on the edge and, and letting a run bounce outside for a big gain up the Rams sideline that they'll 
see if they can find a way to scheme him to do something similar this weekend. They they have gotten better at defending the run in the last few weeks. It's still their Achilles heel defensively overall um, this season that they've really struggled to do that against opponents all year long. They kind of held the 49ers in check, you know, last month when they came here, but the Niners didn't have Debo Samuel for that matchup either, and that's going to be a big, big difference for them this time around. Um, so I, I would think that if they can find a way to put some stress on those linebackers, Cody Barton handling the Mike spot, Muse and Johnson playing the, the, the weak side spot, get them, you know, stretching with, you know, play action and the motions and the things that Shanahan and that offense can do. I think that's one area they're definitely going to look to attack. Is, is Barton better suited in this spot than he is in his regular uh, location? It's possible. I don't think the, the responsibilities of those two spots are pretty interchangeable. But there might be something to him calling the defense, seeing things from the, the middle of the field there, and, and the way he communicates that position that works out a little bit better for him. I think he's played pretty strong football the last month or so in particular and handled the, the roles that he's had quite a bit. And I think uh, Pete Carroll said earlier this week it took until kind of their their bye week and the chance for him to have a reset for things to start to to kick in and slow down for him and to him to start to see the, the, the game a little bit differently here down the stretch. And I, I think he's benefited most from this final five weeks of the season and the way he's played in that spot. And I think he played well last week against the Rams too. So it, whether it's a better fit for him or not, I think it's probably debatable, but right now he's playing pretty well for them. Uh, and finally, uh, you mentioned Jordan Brooks' absence. They're also getting Ryan Neal back, though, so I imagine we'll see uh, plenty of safety play uh, trying to fill in as much as they can for a, a lost star on that defense. Yeah, Ryan Neal has been terrific for them this year and taken over the majority of the year for Jamal Adams' absence. And we saw that even last year in, in the times when he had to fill in. He's played really good football for them, and now that he's back in the lineup, it could allow them to use Jonathan Abram in a different way. He's basically handled the majority of the snaps and strong safety the last few weeks with Neil out. Now you might be able to get back to the kind of idea they had coming into this year of using a three safety package a little bit more and, and having Abram be that kind of roving, like down in the box kind of safety, extra safety spot for them to, to maybe get a little bit creative. And so, yeah, having Ryan Neal back in the lineup is going to be big because he's had a really strong year for them. And if he was able to become a completely unrestricted free agent next year, I think he'd have quite a bit of interest. But he's still a restricted free agent. I think Seattle's going to try to take advantage of that when, uh, when that comes around in March because he's had that good of a season for them. Uh, he's at Curtis underscore Crabtree on Twitter. If you're not following already, you certainly should be uh, for Fox 13 Seattle. Curtis, uh, appreciate it, and uh, hopefully this W we can talk soon. Yeah, we could have a chance to do it again next week and with the team heading to Philadelphia, but it's a tall task for them this week, that's for sure. For sure. Take care. See you, man. That's uh, Curtis Crabtree joining us here on The People Show. Uh, Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah, coming up in about 10 minutes with Canucks Central. Uh, that is the Friday football preview brought to you by Clayton Public House. Pre-game to post-game, the Clayton Public House is your home of football. Catch all the action on 15 screens, two giant projectors, theclaytonpub.com. Uh, before we go, though, let's get to uh, the people's picks as well, brought to you by Play Now Sports. Get a $5 free bet when you bet... When you make a $25 same-game parlay wager on NFL games, conditions apply. Must be 19-plus. Taking a peek at the handle uh, this weekend. Uh, some numbers here from play now. Uh, speaking of that Seahawks 49ers game, 79% uh, of the bets coming in on the Seahawks money line. Uh, looking at the spread, though, much more even, closer to 50-50. But uh, the payout, 5-1 to one for the Seattle Seahawks with people going for a big upset 
spot there as well. Surprisingly, uh, this one kind of shocked me. Bengals getting 80% of the spread bets. I thought the 8.5 number would uh, ward some people off. You know, there is that old 80-20 rule, so maybe I'm rethinking uh, my big six pick there. But nevertheless, 95% of the handle, 80% of the bets coming in on the Bengals. So it would be a big upset uh, and a, a big win for the casual bettors if the Ravens pull that one off. And uh, you'd be looking, sitting pretty pretty. Uh, Vikings uh, getting 50-60% of the handle so far as well at minus 2.5 right now at play now. That number is a little bit different. Uh, so a little lower if you want the Vikings. You can get a better number there. Uh, and also, the Bills feel like the sentimental pick right now. They're getting 80% of the bets uh, so far this week against the Miami Dolphins. I imagine the Bills as well. As this continues, the DeMar Hamlin story. It would be amazing if he was there because he's left hospital. He's back in uh, Buffalo. Imagine if he was there at the game in a skybox maybe uh, with the owner and they cut to the camera and he's on the big screen there. Uh, I feel like a lot of people are going to be back in the Buffalo Bills throughout these NFL playoffs. And then finally, uh, Jaguars getting a lot of love as well uh, from betters at playnow.com. 64% of the money line handle on 60% of the bets as well. They are the underdogs in that spot. So it's 2.2 on the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's your weekend look. At the people's picks. Uh, and also uh, looking at Super Bowl odds. We talked about that on Monday. Uh, Chiefs currently the favorites with 4.3 odds to win the Super Bowl. Followed by Buffalo at 5. And Philly and San Fran joint third favorites at 6.0. And uh, by the way, the Seahawks money line mentioned it's 5.1. That's boosted uh, from the original number as well. Uh, if you go to the power pick section at playnow.com. Calm. All right, uh, that's People's Picks brought to you by PlayNow Sports. When you choose to bet on sports at PlayNow.com, you're betting. You're playing on the only site whose profits go back to BC. Know your limit. Play within it. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's texting in. I can smell Gino's cooking already. Uh, taking the over on passing yards for Gino. It's all about the weather in that game for me. If if, if it uh, if they're playing in like one inch of water. On their cleats, man, that that changes a lot for the 49ers with how they want to play uh, and and how will it impact also the passing game. So uh, a daring move by uh, Marcus and Gibsons, but I'm here for it, here for it as well. All right. Uh, on the way, Dan Riccio, Satyar Shaw, they got you the rest of this afternoon as well. They'll be talking about plenty uh Surrounding the Vancouver Canucks, obviously on Canucks Central, uh, but they'll be diving into the Tanner Pearson uh, news and the Quinn Hughes comments as well, uh, and much more with uh, Dan and Sat. Plus, Yannick Hansen will join them, and it's the Friday Mailbag. Uh, so get those submissions in on Dan's Twitter at DanRachio underscore, and also at Satyar Shaw. Uh, plus six fifty, six fifty. The rest of the way here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet six fifty.